Good evening. We're thankful that you are here this evening. Hope that your day has been well, that it's gone well for you. We appreciate so much those of you who were with us, both services today, but we certainly had many of you who were out traveling, and we're thankful that some of you were able to be back with us again uh, this evening. We are, uh, for any of our visitors, we're glad that you're here. I know we've got a couple who we know already here. Uh, if you've not had a chance to greet Patrick and Heather, I'd like for you to do that. Patrick and Heather have a Dunlap connection, that's how we know them, but he also has the distinction of being one of the flat top preachers. Uh, we've got several of those here already as well, Brian and Charles fill in, Don fills in and out there, and Patrick does as well on one of the Sundays, and so we're thankful they're with us this evening. Uh, someone asked if I would uh, cut the uh, sermon short so that everybody could go out and buy bread and milk. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be necessary in the morning or not, um, but they are calling for that uh, snow or ice out there on those mountains, and so we hope that you're safe if you got to be traveling in the morning, and there is any kind of weather to, uh, to avoid or to, to worry about tomorrow morning. Tonight we're going to continue our, what's been a yearly study so far, <clears throat> excuse me, and hopefully we'll continue, God willing, into the next year or two, uh, as it was meant to be a... Uh, monthly or weekly study, excuse me, weekly study um, that we've kind of turned into a monthly study for us. So we're not going through it every single night or Sunday night, but certainly maybe once a month looking at words from the Bible. I don't know if you'll be able to read those. I had to make them smaller to fit them all in there. But just to give you a brief recap, as we have come to the end of the year, this study has in the plan uh, five or six groups of words. And so the first groups of words or group of words was big picture words. And we talked about some of those sin and wrath and grace. But then we begun what is probably the longest section of the book um, that deals with Christian character, mercy, love, forgiveness. Uh, and so we've kind of worked through some of those. There's a few left. Being that we take it on a monthly basis, there's not necessarily a, a particular breakdown with the end of the year. I think there may be a, a one or two left for us to begin next year with in the Christian character study. I, I thought these are words that we kind of like, but some of them we don't like so much. Uh, Self-control is a little hard at times. Forgiveness is something that can be hard for us at times. But certainly they all just should describe us and our character as Christians. And so tonight we're going to move on to what is the 12th week or, of course, the 12th month for us. And we're going to talk about peace for a few moments. It's interesting, as I said, I've not necessarily planned this out other than just through the year. And so peace... Uh, is something that fell in the month of December, and it's something that's on everybody's mind a little bit. We sing and people talk about the Prince of Peace some during this season of the year. They talk about peace on earth, and so it's interesting that it kind of just happened to fall in this month, but people are talking about this word. You will hear it used, but what does it mean? How does it even apply to us, and how can we take something tonight to use in our life? This is meant to be a word study, and so we usually begin by talking about a little bit about the original language. And so first tonight, uh, we look at the Hebrew oftentimes to begin in the Old Testament, and you're familiar with this word. Again, something that is well known to us, the idea of shalom. Uh, in the Hebrew text, the term translated peace is simply shalom, and in its concept, in its basic form, it sort of comes from the idea of fastening or a stable condition, peace. In the Old Testament, it is used some 302 times in about 281 verses. 302 times. I'm going to mention this a few different times tonight, but you're going to get the idea that peace is important because it is used very, very often. The word translated peace not only implies the absence of combat or conflict, because that's usually what we think of. 
peace on earth or peace in the world, world peace, we mean the absence of conflict. It does kind of mean that, but it also means or includes the qualities of wholeness, tranquility, stability, spiritual soundness, and even good health. Now, one thing that's interesting when we think about this idea of shalom or peace, uh, as beautiful as that word is, and people use that word quite often. You hear that sometimes between folks who say they're Jewish, they'll use that word. But as beautiful as it sounds, in the Old Testament, there are actually two times that it is used as a means of rebuke. Uh, They're both used in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verses 13 and 14 is one. Twice Jeremiah uses this term of shalom or peace as a rebuke to warn the people of God whose hearts had turned from him. Jeremiah would say or write, because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Twice, Jeremiah 6, and even I believe later in chapter 8, Jeremiah uses this beautiful word, tranquility, to describe and, or to use it in a sense of rebuke. Now, when we come to the New Testament, there's a word that we are less familiar with, but we're going to talk about how often it is used, and that is arene. The word arene is what the writers of the New Testament use to describe and what has been translated for us as peace. According uh, to the International Bible Diction or uh, Bible Encyclopedia, uh, arene has much the same meaning as shalom, but with a higher spiritual fulfillment because, and don't miss it, and we don't really miss it here because we talk about it a lot, it's sort of like shalom, but it carries with it a sense of higher spiritual fulfillment because of the coming of Christ into the world. So we've gone beyond the peace of shalom in the Old Testament, which was important, the peace of God, but we've moved into a peace that comes with the coming of Christ. And how wonderful that is. The word arene is used some 95 times in about 88 verses. Um, As you all know, and many of you use different translations, you'll find different things. I preached on peace back in the summer. And in my notes, separate from the one word notes, I had written down 92 times. So sometimes with the translations, they'll be translated a little differently. But 92 or 95 times in about 88 verses, this word is used. It must be important, right? Let's go further. When we think about this word arene being used, and you have in your notes there, it is actually used in all 13 of what we call the Pauline epistles. Now you'll find them there in the introduction. While it's always important wherever it is found, it is included in the common greeting in all 13 of the epistles that are attributed to the apostle Paul. Now, as you know, There's much debate about the the book of Hebrews. Some people say Paul wrote it. Some people say he didn't. This is not including Hebrews in that number 13. But keep in mind, there is no filler material in Scripture, right? By inspiration of God, these men are recording these things. So there's no filler material. So when Paul wrote in each of these letters, grace to you and peace from God, he means it. He's writing it to, as an important thing. It is a common greeting, but I can imagine Paul absolutely means grace to you and peace from God. Have that arene, that peace in your life. 
Is it important? I would think so. Paul seems to mention it in every epistle. But let's go even a step further. Not only is it used in all 13 of the Pauline epistles, but it is used by every New Testament writer. Now, I don't think I got it in the bulletin, but there's one caveat here. It is actually in every New Testament book except 1 John. Now, John did use it in 2 John and 3 John, so every New Testament writer uses it, but it's not actually in every New Testament book because 1 John does not use it. But this word describes a harmonious relationship between God and men, between men and men, um, among nations, as well as we think about the order of the state, of government, and the churches. Uh, It addresses the friendliness, the peace that should be between people. It's very, very important. And I think we kind of understand that a little bit. We use that word. It was maybe, uh, you know, its meaning has changed, not its meaning, but its usage has changed over the years. But certainly in the Bible, this idea of peace continues on forward and forward that we should have peace. Next tonight, we're going to talk about three examples Um, I'd like to use usually the devotionals, and we're going to talk about a couple of those from the one-word study. But as I mentioned, uh, I talked about peace this summer at Dayton one night that I spoke there. And so I kind of wanted to take a little bit of that and use it here because I think it's important. When we think about peace, the Bible doesn't just leave us hanging. Because I think it is very simple, as we said a moment ago, to say it's the absence of conflict. If we're not fighting, then there's peace. But as many of us here know, that doesn't mean that things are all good. Sometimes our families will put aside the conflict for the holidays, but that doesn't mean that everyone's getting along or that everything is good or that I approve your behavior or you approve my behavior or anything like that. So we can set aside conflict sometimes, but when we really talk about the peace of the Bible, the Bible gives us three perfect, I think we could say, examples. The first one is the God of peace. And this is for your outline. I think I forgot to underline those in the notes here. But the God of peace. The three examples involve, first of all, the God of peace. And I'm going to throw several verses at you here. If you'd like to write them down, you may not have time to turn to all of them. Romans chapter 15 and verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Very simple. Paul writes, now the God of peace be with you all. He writes to those in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. May the God of love and peace be with you. So the God of heaven is a God of peace. And then in the third place, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That's what we're after is peace. Well, let's look to the God of heaven. We have three examples or three models of peace. And the first one is the God of heaven is the God of peace. I said a moment ago, we might call them perfect examples. God is perfect. He is holy. And we can look to him to understand what peace is. Now, as we said a moment ago, don't get it confused with what we sometimes use that term to mean in our English language with the absence of conflict. But the God of heaven truly is a God of peace. The second example we have, Jesus our Savior is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 14. Ephesians 2, 14. And he himself is our peace. 
who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Don't miss the context there. Paul writing to the Gentiles who were outside of salvation. The Gentiles who did not know that favored status that the children of Israel knew. And so now Paul is making the point that Christ has come. He has broken down that middle wall of separation. And now peace is available to all. He's telling the Gentiles that he himself is our peace. He has made us one. He has made it possible that all mankind can be saved. He is the Prince of Peace. Of course, that comes. The second reference is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Isaiah 9, 6. The foretelling of the coming of Christ. This child, this Christ child who would come and who would save the world. Isaiah says, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Our young people oftentimes sing a song. I don't know if we've sung it or tried it here in our worship assembly, but called the Prince of Peace, singing about the names of Jesus the Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. And then in Luke chapter 2, in verses 13 and 14, again, a passage that you might hear sometimes during this season of the year. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. You see, with the example, we don't just have God the Father, the God of peace, but we have the Prince of Peace coming to help us understand exactly what peace is. And then thirdly, this evening as a third example that we have for us, we have the author of peace, and that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. As we think about the Godhead, that we refer to them as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, God of heaven is the God of peace. Jesus, our Savior, is the Prince of Peace, and the Holy Spirit is the author of peace. Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse number 26, John 14, 26, But the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We're familiar with John 13 and 14. You remember that in 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He is about to go to his death. John chapter 14, he talks about going and preparing a place and then coming back again. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But later in chapter 14, don't miss it, he makes them this promise, if you will, that the Holy Spirit would come. And how important it is as we think about the Holy Spirit coming to guide them into all truth. And he tells them he will teach you all things. You go forward a few pages in your Bible to John chapter 16 and verse number 13. He's saying the similar thing here. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles into all truth. The Holy Spirit then inspired these men to write the pages of our New Testament. And what they wrote was inspired of the Holy Spirit. So we kind of take all that and connect it together. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. If the Holy Spirit is coming to guide them into all truth, he's going to inspire them to write the pages of our New Testament, these words. And God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. 
we can make this connection and think about the Holy Spirit being the author of our peace. God, the God of peace, the Prince of peace, the Holy Spirit is the author of peace. If we want to know the definition, if we want to understand what it means, how can we not look to these three examples? Often the world gets the definition mixed up, and as people of the word, not the world, but people of the word, people of the book, we can learn, first of all, from these three examples. Then moving on to a couple of thoughts for you tonight to make application or continue to make application for ourselves. Let's think, first of all, about Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9. I should have asked our young people to try to quote some of these here. As we think about the Beatitudes, earlier in the year they spent a little bit of time uh, working on the Beatitudes and thinking about these great and important things that Jesus says here. If when we think about peace, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I would submit to you very simply tonight as we take a couple of points and make application for ourselves that we are to be peace producers. Now that comes from the original language that is used here. Uh, the word peacemakers, the first part is where we got our word peace that we said earlier, arene. The word that's used here is arene poios. That is literally peacemakers or peace producers. Are we peace producers? How do we produce peace, especially in this crazy world around us? Well, it's something that we can affect in others. You may recall that uh, very recently, I think it was back in the summer or maybe even in the spring, it was another one of those nights that you turn on the news channel and out in Denver, uh, there was a little league game, and next thing you know, coaches and parents are, are throwing punches and fighting each other, and people are rushing kids off the field. And we look around us, and we kind of say, there is no peace, even as Jeremiah was kind of referring to that in a sense. Think about what we see around us. When we think about being peace producers, that's what we need to be after in the world. That I, myself, and we're going to get to that point in a minute, can be a peace producer. You can be a peace producer producer in the church building in the workplace in the grocery store and yes even on the ball field and anywhere that we have a chance to come in contact with the world we produce peace around us we produce peace when we unite mankind or unite man i think about ephesians chapter 4 ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3 endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace we produce peace when we unite man. Now, again, that doesn't mean we set aside everything. We might set aside some differences in order to get through Thanksgiving dinner, but it doesn't mean we set aside all truth. But yet, sometimes we have to try our best in the bond of peace to unite man. We produce peace when we unite man with God. In Romans chapter 5, and, excuse me, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Romans 5 and verse number 1. Paul would write there and say, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. That's what we're after. We have peace. How? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about being peace producers, we produce peace when we unite mankind with God. Peace with God through faith. We can produce peace when we remember and share with others that God loves us. 
that God sent his son, that our sins are, are forgiven, and that we have his word to guide our lives. I think about this sometimes quite often, even as we touched on just a moment, or for just a moment this morning. Uh, I know that there are a lot of folks in this world who dear, uh, deal with very serious anxious and anxiety type issues. And some of us need a lot of help with that sometimes and talking with others and professional and that type of thing. I, I know it's not just a blanket statement, but when we think about having the peace of God, when we can remember that list of things, he loves us, he sent his son, our sins are forgiven, we can follow his word, we have a home in heaven. All of those things should help bring peace to our lives and then we can produce it in others, within ourselves to show to others. It's different. It's different. I, I don't think twice, even as mad as I might have gotten at a call that the umpire made, I don't even think twice about raising my fist or, or calling names or anything because that's not the life that I lead in trying to imitate Christ. Now, I'm not perfect in, in, in all things, but that's one thing that when we think about the peace of God coming over us, reminding us that there is a higher calling, even in a sense, that we might use that phrase, then it shows to the world. That's the peace that we are trying to produce into those around us. Another passage here, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 18. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 18. This is one of my favorite verses in a sense because of, again, something else that we sometimes see in the world around us <clears throat> is that we see people who will not take responsibility for themselves. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 18. If it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So this is the last uh, set of verses here, but I want to share one more in just a moment. But I am responsible for peace, at least my own peace. I can't control what's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. I can't control what's going on around the other side of the world and, and the peace, the world peace that we desire. But I can control myself. I can sometimes control, in a sense, what's going on around me, my life, my family, the things that I partake in, the things that I do, the things I watch, the things I hear, the people that I'm involved in with. I can control that, and I am responsible for peace. It's funny, in the one-word uh, devotional book that's used in this, this particular point, um, the one thing that it talks about is the weather in the south. So it's kind of funny that we're calling for snow or ice tomorrow. Um, but we used to have a friend in kind of connection with the thought they used. Uh, at Freed Hardin, we were there. He was from Florida. Uh, and he always wore flip-flops around campus, always. I mean, all year long. And people would give him a hard time, and he'd always say, it, you know, if you think it's going to snow or you think it's going to snow today, you think the weather's bad, just wait. It'll be different tomorrow. I mean, that's kind of the way the weather works in the south sometimes. Yes, we're worried about ice in the morning, but then it's supposed to be 60 again by the end of the week. We can't control the weather. As much as we try, we can't control everything else around us. But we can control, as we've even already talked about, self-control ourselves. When Paul writes here, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. We see the precedent set there, and, and it's in other places in the Bible, of responsibility. I'm responsible for myself. It doesn't matter what my parents might have done or what somebody else did to me or what my teacher did or said or anybody else. I am responsible for me, and I am responsible for peace, in a sense. I can't control everything else, but I can be responsible for the peace in my life 
at least to a certain extent. One more passage, Philippians chapter 4. This won't be on the screen, but Philippians chapter 4 in verses 7 through 9. I told you this morning that we talked about it uh, last week. We talked about it this morning, and we were going to talk about it tonight. But I wanted to come back to it again and end with this. Because the last question I'd like to ask you tonight is, do you possess the peace of God? This morning, or excuse me, last week we talked about the this passage and how it talks about thanksgiving we talked about being anxious for nothing but in prayer with thanksgiving this morning we began to talk about prayer that's mentioned here and the idea that we should in everything pray to god the good the bad and the ugly but notice what comes after that we've stopped in verse seven the last two lessons but uh, verse six but look at verse seven that if we will do that when we talk about prayer being a key to anxiety, if we will pray, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I like the way that the one word writers kind of talked about this passage. They, they called it ununderstandable peace. Ununderstandable peace. We can't understand it because it passes our hearts and minds, it passes our understanding is what Paul says here. That's the peace of God. Something that we cannot even begin to fathom. Yes, there is the absence of conflict, but yes, there is wholeness. There is tranquility and all that is found in God. And we could probably even extrapolate it out in Christ. When Paul writes in Ephesians chapter one and verse number three, that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. This is one of them. The peace of God that we can feel when we are at peace with him. It helps us have peace with the world. Not just in one season or one month or one day, but through our lives. And tonight I ask you, do you possess peace? We said a few moments ago that we need to be peace producers. We need to share that with the world. You cannot do it unless you have it in your own life. We cannot share with others what we ourselves do not possess christians do not have perfect lives but we can have peaceful lives not perfect but peaceful this is a product of how we live the opposite of peace is what it's guilt the opposite of peace is guilt and sometimes we feel that way and sometimes we should feel that way but then we have an opportunity to repent and be forgiven and we can have the peace of god Tonight, as we conclude this lesson, that is the simple question for you to answer. The peace of God comes first and foremost by being a Christian, by being at peace, knowing that the blood of Christ has washed away your sins. And tonight, maybe you're here and you've never done that. You can leave with peace, true peace, peace that lasts more than a moment, peace that lasts more than a season of life, but hopefully will carry you through and forward into eternity. But it begins by being a child of God. Possessing that peace that is only seen and embodied and given by the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, and the Author of Peace. Maybe you're here tonight and you felt that. Even as we talked about this morning, the idea of a relationship. That you can have a relationship with God, but you can turn your back. You may have felt that peace. And you look around you, you look all around your life. You think about the good, the bad. You think about what's coming this week, about the people in your life and everything around you. And you think, I don't feel any peace. I can't take it all away. God doesn't tell us that he will either. 
But he does offer his peace if we will be a child of his. And maybe tonight you need to come back to him. It does require a change on our part to be whole, to be united with him. And if you need to make a change tonight, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.